together one more time and give the Lord praise. Can we do that, everybody? Hallelujah. Oh, clap your hands, all ye people, and shout unto the Lord with the voice of triumph. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. High five somebody and tell them the devil's in for a bad night tonight. All right, thank you all seven of you. Let's try it again. High five somebody and tell them the devil's in for a bad night tonight. Amen. How many came to lift up and magnify the name of Jesus? Has anybody been loose? Has anybody been set free? Well, then it's your right to have a jubilee right now. Somebody magnify the Lord. From the bottom of your heart, give the Lord praise right now. Praise God, praise God. You know what? I feel some walls coming down right now. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. My, 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 what an atmosphere of expectancy in this place tonight. Amen. How many are happy to be in the house of the Lord tonight? Amen, amen. It is indeed an honor and a privilege to be here as you're turning in your Bibles to the book of Habakkuk, chapter number 2, a very familiar portion of Scripture. Let me say what an honor and privilege it is to be here tonight in Belle Glade, Florida. Did I get that right? Belle Glade, all right. And, uh, and we are so happy uh, to be in the presence of the Lord with all of you great apostolic folks tonight where obviously revival fires are burning brightly and somebody ought to praise the Lord about that. Amen. We give honor to Senior Pastor Feld and all of the ministering brethren on the platform. Thank you.
Brother Nathan Urshan, Pastor Nathan Urshan, for the invitation to be here. And then I want to say a great big thank you to Brother and Sister Hopper for driving to Fort Lauderdale today and picking me up at the airport and taking me to the Cheesecake Factory. Ooh. Mm. I, feel the, I feel the Lord in the house right now. And, uh, and, then, uh, and then taking me to my beautiful accommodations. Y'all know how to treat a preacher right. Amen. We are going to have a tremendous time this week. Praise God. I want to say a great big uh, thank you to all of the musicians and singers tonight for ushering us into the presence of the Lord. I know it takes a lot of work to prepare, and we are so glad uh, about that tonight. Amen. Praise God. The book of Habakkuk, chapter number 2, will begin reading in verse number 1 and conclude in verse number 2. Praise God. The word of the Lord states this. I will stand upon my watch and set me upon the tower and will watch to see what he will say unto me and what I shall answer when I am reproved. And the Lord answered me and said, Write the vision, and make it plain upon tables, that he may run that readeth it. Amen. I want to preach to you tonight. Sometimes preachers have catchy titles that we can throw out there and grab your attention immediately. Sometimes we just have to tell you what we're going to preach. And tonight is one of those nights I just have to tell you what I'm going to preach about. I want to preach to you on this subject, the value of vision in your life. The value of vision in your life. I feel, I feel ordained of the Holy Ghost to be here and to preach this message to somebody tonight. If you will open your hearts to receive what thus saith the word of the Lord, would you stretch your hands toward heaven right now, all across this place, lift your voice. And let's ask the help of the Lord. Jesus, we love you tonight. We give you all of the glory. We pray that you will continue to allow your anointing to flow in this place tonight. I pray, Heavenly Father, that you will anoint the lips of your messenger and anoint the hearts of your people to receive the word of the Lord. We pray it all in the name of the Lord Jesus. Would you put your hands together to the Lord and magnify Him one more time? Come on, can you do that, everybody? And you may be seated. It was on December the 17th, 1903, at 10.35 a.m., that Orville Wright secured his place in history by executing the first powered and sustained flight from level ground. For 12 gravity-defying seconds, he flew 120 feet along the dunes of the outer banks of North Carolina. In the field of aviation, this historic event represents a beginning, but for Orville and Wilbur Wright, it was the end. It was the end of a long and a tedious journey. 
a journey initiated by a dream that is common to every little boy, the desire to fly. But what most children abandon to the domain of fantasy, Orville and Wilburite seized upon as a potential reality. They believed they could fly. More than that, they believed they should fly. Wilbur described the birth of their vision this way, and I quote, Our personal interest in aviation dates from our childhood days. Late in the autumn of 1878, our father came into the house one evening with some object partly concealed in his hand. And before we could see what it was, he tossed it into the air. Instead of falling to the floor as we expected, it flew across the room where it struck the ceiling, and there it fluttered a while and finally sank to the floor. It was a little toy known to scientists as a helicopter, but which we, with sublime disregard for science, at once dubbed a bat. It was a light frame of cork and bamboo covered with paper which formed two screws driven in opposite directions by rubber bands under torsion. A toy so delicate lasted only a short time in the hands of small boys, but its memory was indeed abiding. This childhood experience sparked in these boys an insatiable desire to fly. The only thing they lacked was a means, so they immediately went to work removing the obstacle that stood between them and their dream. Perhaps there is a dreamer here tonight. A person, a young person who is obsessed with a vision that you feel that God has for your life. At the onset of this message tonight, I challenge you and I say to you that your vision is adding value to your life. Keep dreaming. Amen. How many have come tonight and you feel as though the enemy has robbed you of a dream? You feel as though the enemy has stolen the vision that you feel that God has for your life. I've come to talk to you tonight. The book of Habakkuk, in our, re in our hearing tonight, we read the word of the Lord where it stated, I will stand upon my watch and set me upon the tower, and will watch to see what he will say unto me, and what I shall answer when I am reproved. And the Lord answered me and said, Write the vision, and make it plain upon tables, that he may run that readeth it. We must understand, ladies and gentlemen, that man is prevailingly and persistently eye-minded. It is during his waking life that he is likely to think, to imagine, and to remember in terms of vision. Naturally then, his dreaming is predominantly visual. So strongly visual, we are told, that it is not rare to find dreams that are defined as 
trains of fantastic images. Where the man was made this way in order that God might communicate with man through vision is hardly a subject that is worth debating. God has always communicated with His people through the power of vision. Can somebody say amen about that? If you could put, put my mic back where, where it was when I took the pulpit, that'd be great. Thanks if, if it's not offensive to anybody. Everybody give the sound man a great big hand. Amen. Please don't hurt anybody's ears. Thank you. Hang with me. We're going somewhere tonight. The character of the revelation through vision has a double aspect in the biblical narrative. In one aspect, it proposes a revelation for immediate direction, as in the case of, of Abram, of Lot, of Balaam, and Peter. In another aspect, it deals with the development or the progression of the kingdom of God. We find as conditioned by the moral ideals of the people, such are the prophetic visions of Isaiah, of Ezekiel, Hosea and Micah, and we could also include in that the apocalypses of Daniel and John. From the nature of vision as an instrument of divine communication, the seeing of visions is naturally associated with revivals of religion, and the absence of vision is always associated with spiritual decline. In other words, where there is vision, there is revival. Where there is no vision, there is no revival. Can somebody say amen? The outstanding characters to whom visions were vouchsafed in the history of Israel include the likes of Abraham, Moses, Jacob, David, Isaiah, Jesus, and the Apostle Paul. These were all men of action as well as sentiment. And it is manifest from any fair glance of their lives that their work was helped and not hindered by the visionary aspect of their fellowship with God. For always the vision has emphasized the play of the spiritual world, the response of a man's spirit to that world, and the ordering of both worlds by a compelling power that is able to communicate to man and that same power that is supremely interested in the work of man and the kingdom of God. Can I preach a little while here tonight? One fear that I have tonight is that the communication lines of vision too often break down between God and His people. Young people, I want you to hear me well tonight that there must come a point in every one of our lives that the communication lines are open between you and God. Thank you, my dear brother, for setting me up tonight. Somewhere you've got to get a hold of God and you've got to say, nevertheless, God, not my will, but let your will be done. Somewhere You've got to place yourself on an altar and you've got to say, this flesh has got to die and you've got to communicate 
with me your will, O God. Amen. Can I go ahead and preach for a moment in the house before we go one step further in this conference? I declare that we set forth in 2008 from this sanctuary tonight a group of young people that know how to get a hold of God in prayer, that know what it is to say, God, I'm gonna get a hold of the horns of the altar and you speak to me and you talk to me and you work in me and you move in me. I've got to see what you want me to see. Somebody clap your hands and magnify the Lord. Amen. You may be seated this breakdown in communication however was not the case in Jeremiah chapter number one are y'all in a hurry amen I'll try to be done in two hours Pookie got up at five o'clock this morning I'll be done before two hours I promise you that this breakdown in communication was not the case in Jeremiah chapter number one and I feel it deserves our attention tonight the word of the Lord came unto Jeremiah saying before I formed you in the belly I knew you before you came out of the womb I sanctified you and I ordained you to be a prophet over the nations Jeremiah gives a tepid response to his creator and he says, I cannot speak because I am a child. The Lord retorts to him, say not, I am a child because whatsoever I command you, you shall speak. He went on to say, do not be afraid of their faces for I shall deliver thee. Can we go ahead tonight and rebuke the spirit of fear? I got to move quickly here but if there's one thing that I believe that Pentecostal young people must conquer it is the spirit of intimidation and it is the spirit of fear and I'm going to go ahead and declare under the anointing of the Holy Ghost tonight that we will not be gripped by the spirit of fear he said he said, I got to hurry now. He said, do not be afraid of their faces for I shall deliver thee. Then the Lord put forth his hand. He touched Jeremiah's mouth and he said, I have put my words in your mouth. I have set you over nations and you are going to root out and pull down and you are going to destroy and throw down. And then he said, after you got all the trash out, then you are going to build and you are going to plant. But that's not what I came to preach about because the Bible said he went on to speak to Jeremiah and the Bible says, then the Lord said to Jeremiah again, what seest 
thou Jeremiah said I see the rod of an almond tree and the Lord said Jeremiah you have well seen now since you have seen what I want you to see I will hasten my word to perform it. Can I tell you tonight that we've got too many young people. we got too many folk on Pentecostal pews that are living in frustration of unfulfilled promises. And let me tell you why. It's because they are seeking to do it via their own ambition. And they are seeking to do it via their own aspiration and their own agenda when God says when you die to my will when you see how I want you to see he said I'll hurry up the promise I'll hurry up your destiny I'll hurry up every word hey hey can I preach right now that before we leave this place tonight somebody's will is going to die you're not going to see things the way you've always seen them but when you walk out of this place tonight you're going to see God's will in a whole new life amen say amen somebody shout amen uh oh the average person has the right to dream his own dreams and to develop his own picture of what his future could be and should be but at the cross those of us who have sworn allegiance to the Savior, we lost that right. After all, we are not our own. We have been bought with a price. Then the mandate is clear. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit which are God's. This begs the question, without discrimination in this house tonight is your life bringing glory to God or is it bringing glory to yourself is your life bringing glory to the flesh or is it bringing glory to the divine I'm going to say that again I said is your life bringing glory to God or is it bringing glory to your flesh I've come to preach to somebody tonight when I say this next statement somebody ought to run the aisles somebody ought to leap to your feet and thank God for the blood are you ready for this you were not cheap can I preach a little while in here tonight I said you were not cheap. Can I go ahead and be myself? I don't care what society is telling you. I don't care what MTV and VH1 and BET and Beyonce and P. Diddy and Britney and Paris and J-Lo. Hello, somebody. I got too many stiff and starchy Pentecostals in this house right now. I don't care what Hollywood belches out at you. You cost him everything he had. You're worth more than the backs 
seat of a Buick. You're worth more than a pornographic website. You're You don't understand. He went to the cross and he died because he wants you to understand. You are expensive. You cost him everything he had. You are worth everything to him. Can I preach now? The Apostle Paul tells us plainly in the book of Ephesians. He said, we are his workmanship. Uh-huh. Oh, Lord. We are beautifully created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand somebody say beforehand before you came out of the womb ain't nobody going to help me preach in here tonight which God prepared beforehand before Jeremiah you came out of the womb I sanctified you I saw every time you were going to fail me I saw every time society was going to back you into a corner I saw every time. I got too many pious folk in the house right now. I saw every time you were going to be tempted. I saw every time you were going to feel worthless. He said, but we are his workmanship. Beautifully created in Christ Jesus beforehand so that we can walk in him. Can I go ahead and preach right now that I'm looking at the most beautiful young ladies that the world has ever seen. I'm looking at the most handsome young men that the world has ever seen. I've come to tell you tonight to get back upon your feet and dream again. Get back upon your feet and see yourself. As God sees you. Now, young people, listen now. We're going to forget. We're going to forget all of us old folks in the house right now. Just forget about me, okay? But I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to never tuck your head again when you walk down the hallway of your school. I declare to you by the power of the anointing of the Holy Ghost that is in this room tonight to make your back like a T-rail Square your shoulders. Jut your Holy Ghost jaw out. And when society tries to ridicule you, and when society tries to cheapen you, and when society tries 
to rape you of what you're worth. You look hell in the eye and you say he paid the ultimate price for my salvation. Somebody clap your hands and magnify God. Come on, somebody really magnify him tonight. You may be seated. The thought and the frustration crosses the minds of people every day who are struggling to stamp out their station in life. It might go something like this. You mean to tell me that I don't have a choice to formulate the vision for my own life. Is this whole life thing one big trap that has been set up by God where you can't be happy unless and until you do exactly as He said? My answer to you tonight is this, that you can do whatever you want to do because He has, He has created you as a being of choice and of free will. But you hear this preacher well tonight until he communicates his vision for your life and until you accept his will for your life, there's going to be a hole in your soul. There's going to be a valley between your vision and God's vision. Allow me to say it like this. Until you understand the value of vision, you've got nothing coming. One of the common slogans among men and women who are serving long sentences in federal prisons is this. You've got nothing coming. It's a sad statement. It's a hopeless statement. And it robs the inmates of what little hope they have left. You've got no income. Your kids are embarrassed to say that they're related to you. Your wife isn't coming to see you and she'll probably divorce you before too long. Nothing is going to change in your life. Do not expect anything better. You're getting what you deserve. You've got nothing coming. The tragedy, ladies and gentlemen, is this. That there are far too many people who are on the outside of federal prisons. But they are living behind self-imposed bars. They are living in prisons of their own making. And they have succumbed to this kind of thinking. This is as good as it gets. This is the best that I can expect. Pardon the colloquialism. Sit down and shut up and be happy with where you are. But I've come to preach to somebody tonight. You've got everything coming to you. And according to your faith, so be it unto you. I feel faith 
in this house tonight. I feel like somebody is going to lift up their eyes and look to the hills from whence cometh their help. Does anybody feel it? Does anybody feel promise? Does anybody feel destiny in the house? you to hear me well now. You may be seated. Are you ready for this? I know you are. The devil hates hope. Boy, that was deep, wasn't it? The devil hates hope. If he can take hope off of the negotiating table. My God, I feel the Holy Ghost in here right now. If he can take hope out of the forecast, he's got you exactly where he desires you to be. The devil, the adversary of your soul, your enemy, he hates hope. I said he hates hope. If there's one thing he hates, it's a light at the end of the tunnel. If there's one thing he hates, it's a glimmer of hope that it doesn't matter how dark it is. It doesn't matter how out of control it is. It doesn't matter how destitute I am as long as I can see him, as long as I can view him. I have hope. Can I be transparent right now? There, there are some times. Now, I know, y'all, I can tell by looking at you, you don't have these problems. But this is just me. There are some times when I just don't have faith. Senior pastor, I just don't. What's your phone number? That's hope. I said, that's hope. Sometimes you just got to call somebody and let them speak a little encouragement into your life and a little hope into your life. And there's, I feel the Holy Ghost right now. And there's nothing more that the enemy would like to do than to take the pastor out of your life, to take the hope out of your life. But I've come to preach to some... Boy, I feel the Holy Ghost right now. You keep your eyes on the man of God. You keep your eyes on your pastor. You keep your eyes on the ministry. And God can communicate hope again. Now listen. There's sometimes, I'm sorry, but I feel, a, I feel a million miles away from the level of faith that I need to be. I'm sorry. And there's sometimes, can we just be real in the house right now? There's sometimes when some of us here 
have trouble even thinking that God knows where we're at. We have difficulty thinking that God can, thinking that God is able, thinking that God can and will do it. Do I have a witness from some real folk in the house? Now I'm fixing to get real theological on y'all now. Are you ready for this? I mean, this is, this is deep. I once read this, this incredible wealth of preaching material, Brother Urshan. And the title of this commentary was this, The Little Engine That Could. Somebody said, Oh, God. <laughs> And that, now, this is a youth conference, isn't it? And y'all know what the little engine that could, said, that could said. He said, I think, I think, I think. You, come here for just a second. Come on, you're going to help me preach. Come on, I saw you in the prayer room. Come on. This is what you call hope right here. I'll come back to that later. The little engine that could said, I think. I think. I can. I can. I think I. I think I. Can. I can. Can I take you with me everywhere I go? You do exactly as I say. I think I can. I think I can. But hey, I got to tell you, sometimes I don't even think he can. But sometimes I'm so down. And sometimes I'm so out. And sometimes it's so dark. And sometimes it's so bleak, Elder. I just got to hope he can. That sometimes I'm in the middle of a red hot service and everybody else has got faith. But I'm on the back row and in the back of my mind I'm saying, I hope he can. I hope he can. I hope he can. I've been there. I have been there when they have preached. The preacher has preached great anointing. And he has preached great revival. And he has preached great promise. But I'm telling you, in the back of my mind, I'm thinking, you know, that cat just doesn't know where I'm living. Y'all don't get sanctimonious on me now. I know I got some folk feeling me in the house. You know what I'm saying. And you feel like you're a million, I'm preaching to you in the back row, sis, a million miles away from what the man is preaching in the pulpit. But I've just come to lift somebody's vision a little bit tonight and to tell you in your darkest hour, in your bleakest moment, sometimes faith is not required of you. And sometimes adequate thought is not required of you. Sometimes you just got to let your eyes raise a little bit. And you got to say, I see a light at the end of the tunnel. I hope God can heal my marriage. I hope God can send revival to my city. I hope God can. 
Somebody ought to shout unto the Lord right now. I hope he can. I hope he can. I hope he can. I know I'm staying here a while, but I feel this in the Holy Ghost. I walked in here tonight and I saw some folk and you looked like you had lost everything that ever belonged to you. But I'm here to tell you, if you can let these simple words cross your lips, I hope he can. I hope he can. Before long, it'll turn into a thought. And before long, it'll turn into faith. Because the Bible says, the word of faith is nigh you. It is even in your mouth. Go ahead and say it right now. You may be seated. The prophet Elijah had experienced many miracles. And his understudy, Elisha, had witnessed many of them. As Elijah was nearing the end of his life, he asked Elisha, what he would like to have from him as his mentor. Elisha stated boldly, I want... Let's try that again. Elisha stated boldly, I want... I had about... The, uh, the tracking poll says I had about 37% support on that one. Let's try it again. Elisha stated boldly, I want, I want a double portion of your spirit. I want to be twice as powerful. I want to be twice as strong. I want to be twice as blessed. And I want to see twice as many miracles. Elijah did not grow angry. Elijah did not become frustrated. He did not get mad and say it was impossible. And he did not rebuke Elisha. He simply responded, Elisha, you have asked a very difficult thing. Does that sound familiar to anybody in here? You have asked a very difficult thing. Nevertheless, can I go ahead and declare that a nevertheless is about to walk into the room tonight. Nevertheless, if you can see me, if you can see me, I'm preaching to you about the value of vision in your life when I am taken from you it shall be done but if you don't see me Elisha when I go up the deal is off but if you see me when I am taken from you it shall be done. Brother Hopper, would you help me tonight? I know you the best out of all of these great brethren. 
I feel the most comfortable asking you to help me. I hate to make you do this. You are Elijah. I am Elisha. You go ahead and walk anywhere you want to walk. And, uh, whoa, whoa, whoa. Slow down for dramatic effect. And I'll follow you. From the time that Elijah spoke that to Elisha to the time that the promise was fulfilled, it was 10 years. It was 10 years of famine. Oh, Lord. Uh-huh. It was 10 years of pestilence. Boy, it's quiet in here right now. It was 10 years of warfare. It was 10 years of ravenous beasts. Do not head for that chair. I command you in the name of the Lord. We can be, we can be here for 10 years, Bubba. Go right ahead. Tomorrow night I'm preaching on Nevertheless, Jesus walked It was ten years of hot Burning desert sun It was ten years Of doubt It was ten years Of confusion It was ten years Of discombobulation Are you hearing me tonight? Ten years He thought, my God, is is this promise ever going to show up? Is it ever going to come to pass? But you must understand something. Elisha, in order to see the fulfillment of the promise that Elijah had given him, he understood, I've got to eat breakfast with Elijah. I've got to eat lunch with Elijah. I've got to eat dinner with Elijah. I got to sleep where Elijah sleeps. Can I just go ahead and be me right now? We got a lot of folks sleeping with a lot of stuff, but we don't have a whole lot of folks sleeping with the dream and vision that God gave them. I'll just go ahead and leave that right there. He's had to sleep with the vision that God gave him. He had to he had to see because he knew if this promise comes to pass, When I don't have my eyes on him, it is no deal. The deal is off. Are you all right, Brother Hopper? All right, I'm glad you're walking and not hopping. He understood it did not matter where or when or how or why. But I got to keep my eyes on the man of God. And for 10 years he walked with him. You know the story well. That there was one day when there was a rumbling in the heavens. And a chariot of fire 
split the sky and a mantle came floating down from heaven but that's not what I want to preach to you the fact of the matter is that it was on the same day brother Urshan that that Elijah was taken from him that his promise had come to pass that he stopped at Bethel and the sons of the prophets who saw miracles in their own right who saw manifestation in their own right who were anointed in their own right they stopped Elisha and they said wait just a minute for ten years you've been following him and the promise has never come to pass why don't you stay here with us stop following that crazy old man and stay here with us I promise you we'll see miracles I promise you but Elisha understood you might see miracles but you won't have the promise that I have you might see anointing but you cannot preach to somebody right now God has promised you revival God has promised you anointing God has promised you favor and you've had folk trying to talk you into compromising what God spoke to you but listen come on back up here thank you so much if Elijah if Elisha would have stopped at that point after 10 years he was two hours away from the fulfillment of his promise I'm preaching to somebody tonight somewhere in an old dusty prayer room my God I feel the Holy Ghost right now somewhere in a red hot Sunday night service God spoke something into your spirit God spoke some things into your church and into your life and into your home and you have fought hell you have fought ravenous beast you have fought the hot burning sun of the desert but I've come to preach to you tonight you're closer to your miracle than you think you are keep walking keep your eyes this could be the night that your revival shows up this could be the prayer meeting that God sends the mantle from heaven this could be the choir rehearsal that's why pastor pastor failed when you tell me to be a Wednesday night Bible study I'm going to be there this could be the night when you tell me to be at prayer meeting I'm going to be here this could be the night it is only the people that can see the invisible that can do the impossible my God my God do you see what he sees preacher Preacher, those empty seats on Sunday morning are so intimidating. Well, I feel the Holy Ghost here right now. And 
I wasn't planning on telling this, but I, I feel like I need to. You can, you can be seated. I won't be much longer. My father is the, and I use a personal reference because it's what I know best. Please forgive me. My father's a senior pastor there in Fort Wayne. And in the year of 1995, we moved into a, into a new facility. It seats about, sat about 500 people. Pastor Feld, we were running about 275 at the time, 300 maybe, in the, in the old building. Packed out, God was blessing. And we moved into a, into a new facility. As soon as we moved in, I'm going to make a long story short, 26 families walked out. figures and so I'll never forget I'm going to fast forward through a lot of parts of the story I'll never forget as he as I woke up one morning he was not home found out he'd been at the church praying all night and God had given him a vision and that's all I knew until years later when he stood up in that sanctuary about two years ago and it was jam packed on a Sunday and he said, this is the congregation I saw in a vision on this date. You see, because it is only the people that can see the invisible. And I feel the Holy Ghost about to rest in here right now. That can do the impossible. We added on to that facility, totaled 50,000 square feet. God blessed the church before we got done with the building program. I was sharing this with him today. The church outgrew the facility before the building project was done. The university across the street purchased the building. We just moved in October 1st to our new 100,000 square feet, 1,400 seat auditorium. And last Sunday, and I tell this only to build somebody's faith, only to build because there's a whole lot of people out there doing a whole lot more. You understand? And last Sunday, I wasn't there, but they said the bottom floor was full. He has a balcony and all that. And I've come to tell somebody. I've come to preach to somebody. When your will dies. God, I feel the Holy Ghost. I didn't mean to go this direction. When your will is secondary to the will of God. It'll be, it may be 10 years of hell. It may be 10 years of empty pews. It may be 10 years of setting out 100 chairs in your youth service and only 15 of them being filled. But I promise you, there's coming a day when you will have 280 young people. In, because if you can see it, I see, I see the prince of peace peering over the sapphire sill of heaven tonight. And he is calling to somebody. And he is saying, do you see what I see? Do you see new property? Do you see the biggest youth ministry in your city? 
Don't tell me it can't happen. You're talking to the wrong preacher. Don't tell me it's impossible because I tell you, if you can see the invisible, you can do the impossible. Woo, I feel the Holy Ghost right now. I've come to preach to somebody. You've been knocking doors. You've been teaching Bible studies. You've been passing out seed cards. You've been doing everything that you know how to do. But I dare you next shoe service. I dare you Sunday morning to walk into that empty auditorium and say, God, I know you're able. I know you're willing. I see 300. I see 400. I see 500. Some, I would to God I had somebody desperate enough, hungry enough, with enough fight in them to lift up your head and start screaming, I see it, I see it, I see it, I see it. And tell God what you see. Do you see a hundred young people? Do you see two hundred young people? What in the world do you see? I see myself standing behind a pulpit and preaching the gospel. I see myself a pastor's wife. I see myself. The Holy Ghost is about to drop a bomb in this place tonight. I see myself a missionary. I see myself a soul winner. I see it. I see it. Maybe seated. Give me ten more minutes. Regardless, how long have I been preaching? Will you just come up and regardless of the term used, whether it is purpose, mission. Legacy, dream, goal, calling, personal agenda. The intent is the same. That driven individuals have an overwhelming desire to do something significant. To accomplish something that no one else has yet to achieve. What that something is, the sense of meaning and purpose, must come from within. Listen to me carefully. No one 
absolutely no one can impose a self-motivating vision upon you. In order to create meaning, you must personally believe in something yourself. Before your inspiration reaches others, you must be inspired for the cause within your own life. Your passion for the cause is an indication of what you find worthy in and of itself. We either do things because of external controls, tangible rewards or punishments, or we simply do some things because we have a passion for them. We have a passion for the cause. A passion for the cause has always proven to bring the extraordinary result. I have people in this room tonight, you are asking the question, where do I begin, preacher? Where do I start? I just can't seem to get it figured out. And I tell you that we must begin by discovering what it is that we are after. What is that one thing that drives you? What is that one thing that motivates you? What is that one thing that awakens you in the middle of the night and refuses to let you sleep? And that is where it all begins. You must express your passion to discover the vision that God has for your life. What is your passion in life? What is it that you are after? What is it that you are pursuing with everything that is within you? I want to preach to somebody tonight that it is your passion that will pound out the pathway to your promise, to your vision, and to your dream. As children or young people, they see themselves Step, stepping into a packed out arena sinking a game winning shot being the first to cross the finish line landing perfectly on their feet and hearing their name called for a gold medal it is such a dream and vision that drives them through hours of training and discomfort forsaking ease and stability why? because they understand the value of vision if even for temporal matters they know that the first step to their goal is the passion that drives them. But it doesn't stop with the passion. Not only must we express our passion, but we must, as you come to the instruments, please, we must explore our passion. said it. We must explore our past. But preacher, I've always heard that God has cast my sins as far as the east is from the west never to be remembered. You're right. And don't you ever forget it. But I'm preaching to you tonight about those past experiences. Whether good or bad, positive or negative from which you have learned those past experiences that now provide the framework for what has become the tapestry of your life.
come to preach to somebody tonight. It's going to get quiet here on this one as I close. Don't curse God another day. Don't curse your family another day. Don't curse your environment another day for the things that you have been through up to this point. Dare I say that God allows some things to come into our lives that serve as a training institute. They serve as a testing facility to bring us to the person that we are today. You can't go back and undo it. I'm sorry, you can't. It is beyond the human power to undo. Perhaps it lies on your memory like a living coal would lie on a hand and it burns and it agonizes. You wake up every morning and you face it you go to bed every night and you face it it's a molestation it's an abortion it's a divorce it's a bankruptcy huh it's somebody taking severe advantage of you it's somebody that you loved and you trusted walking out on you and disappointing you. It's bitterness. It's hurt. It's hate. And it has robbed you of every ounce of potential that you've ever had. And I've come to preach to somebody tonight. Come on, let's stand all across this place. Uh-huh. I'll fix it to get down to where we're living right now. The tapestry of your life has already been woven. Oh yeah, you have failed God. I'm not here to justify your sin. I'm not here to justify the terrible wrong that has been done to you. But perhaps, perhaps there's somebody here tonight that's like the man that came into my office recently. And he said, Brother Dave, I need to talk to you. And I said, okay. He said, I, I need to tell you something that I've never told anybody in my life. I said, what's that? He said, in my office with tears streaming down his face. And he said, when I was 12 years old, I was raped by my uncle. I came home and I told my father what had happened. And my father said, if you ever tell anybody, I'll kill you. And he beat me to a bloody pulp. He left me on the doormat. And he said, never come in my house again. And he sat there with shoulders shaking under the guilt and the shame and the condemnation. Oh God. 
And then he looked at me with hope in his eyes. And he said, but what if, Brother Keller, what if God let that happen to me so that I could go into the inner city and reach young people that have been through exactly what I've been through. Today, Brother Urshan, he is the greatest soul winner in our church. Listen, listen, listen. He has a sixth grade education. He said, I want to do a work for God. Now, I preached at his church. Oh, yeah. One of seven daughter works. I preached. He, can't even, he could not even read until two years ago. I preached at the daughter work that he started a year and a half ago. Two weeks ago on a Sunday morning, there were over 80 people in church that morning. He walked down the haunted corridors of his mind one night in an old-fashioned apostolic altar. Not another day, he said, will I be robbed of the vision, the mission that God has for my life. Not another day will I let a nasty old man rob me of my future. Not another day, not another moment. And he said, God, let my will die on this altar and communicate. I've come to preach to somebody tonight. It's time to walk down the haunted corridors of years gone by. I dare you to walk to an old closet door with sweaty palms and white knuckles, trembling hands, get a hold of the doorknob of that closet, twist it, with as much courage as you can muster, open that door and stare that skeleton in the hollow of his eyes and say thank you. For making me the person that I am today. You can't go back and erase the, abor the abortion. You can't go back and erase the divorce. You can't do it. But what the enemy meant for evil. There is a God in heaven who said, You are my workmanship. I prepared you before the abortion. I prepared you before the divorce. Before, Jeremiah, you came out of that womb, I sanctified you. God, I feel the Holy Ghost here right now. And I ordained you before, 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 before. And not another day, not another day will I be robbed of the vision that God has for my life. There's an abortion ministry about to be started tonight. There's a divorce ministry about to be started tonight. 
there's a homosexual ministry going to be started tonight. Oh, am I in a bunch of perfect, am I, am I preaching to perfect people tonight? Is that, is that what's happening? Or are we too confined by years of oppression to say, preacher, I have been through 10 years of hell. I have been through 10 years of torment. And I refuse to see myself another day when I look in the mirror and hate myself for what I've done. I'm preaching to somebody right now and I hate myself for the mistake I made. But I've come to tell you tonight when you leave, you will now see yourself as your heavenly Father sees you. Let's lift our hands over closest.